Amen. You may be seated, please. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. I'm, thank you. Thank you for the welcome back. Um, sorry I was gone last week and I missed... Oh, yeah, kids. If you are a child, please, please leave. I said it nicely this time. Miss Jackie's in the back. Jackie, raise your hand. That's Miss Jackie Martin. Half the church just left. Okay. Well, again, I apologize for missing last week, and, and I missed kids' game. My, my wife uh, updated me every day on what was going on. It just sounds like an awesome time. And As an elder of this church now for, I don't know, about four years now, and I was a pastor at another church, just how proud I am of this congregation, of you as members. That, that's the work of Christ, amen? And I think we can all testify. I know Christy was saying that as like, it does actually more for the volunteers than it does for the kids, right? It's life-changing to, to serve other people. So uh, I know Chris and Trace said thank you, and I just wanted to add my, my thanks to that. Actually, my wife told me one day, she said, uh, hey, Shara said, is Shara in here? Did you? She, she's like, hey, she thinks you're in the CIA because you're always gone. <laughs> and so if I could keep that rumor going, if you guys think I'm like a Jason Bourne style dude, that would be really cool. Because actually, the day my wife called and told me that, I was actually, I watched Jason Bourne, so I was sitting up a little bit straighter. <laughs> and I was kind of repeating some German I knew. I was like, I think I could do this. So. <laughs> if you got, yeah, I should stop now. Okay, if you got your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus here is wrapping up um, the Sermon on the Mount. We're, we're getting ready to close this thing out. I think we got one more, Trace. Trace, is, is it you next week? Yeah. Trace is going to close us out on Jesus' awesome teaching here. And we got some parting words from Jesus, and uh, it's not a long message today, but we're kind of anticipating maybe quite a few questions, because Jesus is going to say some difficult things, um, doesn't he always, right? Maybe, maybe this is just kind of par for the course. But what I want to do is we're going to start in 713, and our text goes up to verse 23 today. So we got a, 10 verses, we got a larger uh, chunk here, and I think it'd be good if we started off in prayer as always, if you'd just bow your heads and agree with me in prayer. Jesus, you said that whatever two or three agree as to touching anything on this earth, it shall be done to them. Father, our prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, would you give us a heart that understands what your spirit is saying to us this morning? Father, my, my attempts to expound upon your awesome word, Father, and I don't say this lightly, Father, it just seems feeble compared to the awesomeness of Jesus speaking it, that the creator of the heaven and the earth spoke that over 2,000 years later, I'm trying to explain what he meant. Father, it's, it's a humbling task. Lord, would you use me to be your vessel, Father, to explain these truths in just the simplest manner possible, Jesus, that you would cut through all the nonsense and all the biases and all the stuff that just gets cluttered around in our brain, and would you just reveal the truth to us that you were trying to convey to, to your people over 2,000 years ago? Lord, I thank you for this, and I thank you for your great grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I've decided to do of those 10 verses, I want to break these verses into three different sections. Seemingly, they seem a little bit different, but we're going to be able to tie it all together at the end, and I wanted to just kind of talk about each one quickly. The first couple sections, I'm going to go through rather quickly, and we're going to spend the most time at the end there on the last uh, three or four verses. So let's start in 13, and this is just read to uh, 14. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So this is one of the more, I would say, one of the more famous sayings of Jesus, right? If you've, you've been a Christian any length of time, you hear about the wide road that leads to destruction, and you hear about the narrow path that leads to life, right? Have we all heard that before? And, and seemingly, it's like, well, this is interesting. It's, uh, it kind of makes sense, right? You know, because we think of everything we think about Christianity. And so we start to populate this scripture with our, again, our, our own worldviews, our own thoughts of what a wide freeway looks like versus a narrow trail, how the way must be tough. We all think of things differently. So we, we begin to populate the sayings of Jesus with these, these ideas. Does that make sense? Right? We bring our own biases. We bring our own thoughts. We bring our own history. Right? Like someone's uh, version of what a difficult road looks like may look completely different to somebody else, just based upon background alone. Some people's background, a difficult road just looks very daunting, right? It's like something, man, I don't know if I want to travel this. And some people's idea of a narrow road, they're like, oh, this is still going to be lined with trees and meadows and singing birds. It's just going to be a little bit more narrow, right? So, so we have to go back and we think, it's like, well, what is Jesus talking about? We have to ask, first is, who is Jesus talking to? Who is he speaking to here in Matthew? Other Jews, right? He's up on the hillside. If you remember several months ago when we talked about that, he's backing up on a hill. The crowd's approaching him. He's got his disciples there, and he's teaching to other Jews. Warren Wiersbe points out, at this time period, the Jews thought they were all saved because they were Jewish. So he's speaking to a group of people who assume just by their heritage, just by their, their culture, their race, that we're saved because we're Abraham's children. What a, what a great position to be in, Right? And they think they're saved because of the law. Remember what Jesus said? He goes, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you can't be saved. So Jesus is up on this mount, and he's blowing everybody's minds. He's, hey, you think you're good, but you're really dead on the inside. You have a heart issue. And then he's wrapping up his speech, and he says, not, he, he kind of breaks it to everybody. Not everyone's saved, guys. The road to destruction is wide. The path that all of you are on, that's going to destruction. But there's a narrow path that leads to life. And if this is the first time you've heard this as a Jew, if you assume that you are saved just because you're Jewish, I mean, that should be setting off warning bells, right? Here's this guy telling me something different than I've believed. Look at John 14, 6. I want to point out a couple of scriptures here because Jesus, as always, every word is there for a reason. Everything he says, right? And I, I know you know this, but it's good to cover it. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the what? I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus said it, it's like the path is narrow, right? This way, there's only one way, friends, and there's no other way to put it. This is part one of why it's difficult, is there is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. He is the light of all men. The Bible says, that there is no name given to the sons of men that we ought to be saved by except for the name of Jesus Christ. He alone is unique. He alone is God's worthy son that died on our behalf, that died that we would have access to the Father. Amen? Luke 9.23. When I think of, if you asked me, what does it mean that the road is difficult and the road is narrow? The road to destruction is wide. So, my thought on this is that we have to begin to die to self. The road is difficult because now we no longer live for ourselves. 
The road to destruction is paved with living for, for, for number one. It's a selfish road. You're always looking out for numero uno. You do what you want. You want what the flesh dictates. That's easy. Everybody does that. It's difficult when you have to begin to die to self. Jesus says, he says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Friends, the road that Jesus has called us on is a road of self-denial. It's a road that is death to self. That's a difficult road. We can endure all sorts of tribulations, right? Because we have to. Have you ever been in a tribulation and you endured it, but it's not because you're awesome, it's just because you had to? Right? If you're going through something, imagine it being like in a prison sentence. Like you have to go to jail for two years. And you're like, oh, I endured it, I made it. Well, yeah, I guess you made it, but you didn't really have a choice. You were locked up, right? They let you out at two years. But the Christian life is we don't have to, I mean, you have to die to self, but we actually kind of have a choice not to die to self. Do you know any selfish Christians? Do you know any Christians that live for themselves? Any Christians that would choose the dictates of the flesh over the dictates of the spirit? Have you ever really tried to see what it means to die to self? When your brain and your flesh is crying out for something. And it can, be, it, can, it can all be different for everybody. We all have different weaknesses, right? Some people are trapped by lust. Some people are by gossip. Some people bitterness, right? There's all sorts of reasons that we're not dying to self, that we want to do what feels good. To some people, just sharing that, you know, have you ever, and maybe you are this person, but you hear something, and you're saying, oh, I can't wait till I tell somebody this. That's a problem, right? That's the flesh crying out. Have you ever tried to mortify that? Have you ever tried to kill that desire in you? Right? If you're a young man and you're walking somewhere, my knee jerk is the example is you're at the mall, but people, I don't think they go to the mall anymore. In the 80s and 90s, you know, you went to the mall to look at girls. I don't know. Do people still do that? It's dead quiet, so I'm assuming not. Okay. So wherever a young man goes to look at young ladies, you know, have you ever really tried to kill that in you? Not turning your head, not, not doing these things, right? It's easy to do it once or twice, but I'm talking picking up your cross daily and making this your daily walk. This is how you live. This isn't something you do right now. This is something that you have committed to do for the rest of your life. It's a daily crucifixion of self. Matthew 10, 38. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me, what does it say? Read it together. Is not worthy of me. Does this sound like a difficult road? We want to start to back away from this idea that grace is cheap, right? Jesus paid the price, and we are not saved by our works. The Bible says if we, if we cry out to him, right, if we confess our faults, if we repent, you know, and, and we, we ask Jesus to be our Savior, the Bible says he, by all means, will not turn us away. All that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, is what the Scripture says. And so we get saved. But now that we're saved, we have a responsibility. This, this whole message that we've been, we've been doing for the last couple months is the idea that we live in a kingdom, and we have a king, and he has a domain. And this king does things differently than we do on earth. And we think because we have now inherited eternal life for absolutely free that we've got an easy ticket to eternity. We can live how we want, we can do what we want, and even better, our our future is secure in him. But that's not what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom says is now that your life is secured, you must die. 
I've saved your life, now you must die. You die to self. And if you don't pick up your cross, you're not even worthy to follow me. Does that sound like a tough road to you? Right? If Jesus is the gate to the sheep, if he is the way, and he's our final entrance into this great kingdom, think about what that road looks like as we're walking down it. Are we worthy to follow him? Galatians 5.24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Now again, these are not works that earn us salvation. These are not works that earn us brownie points with God. Right? It's not like he's got some board up there with gold stars. Good job, Dave Corson. Two, two gold stars, buddy. You didn't talk about this person. The scripture really paints this idea that when we do these things, it's because it's our obligation and we're unworthy servants. Right? We ought to be doing these things because we belong to somebody else now. In Galatians, Paul exhorts us. He says, those who belong to Christ have crucified his passions and his desires. So one thing, we just don't want to study this for the sake of studying it, is start to reflect on your life. What is alive in you that is not pleasing to God that is in the flesh? What is a, a nagging sin? Or, you know, the Bible uses the words that so easily besets us. What is tripping you up in your walk with Christ? What needs to be crucified with him on this narrow road that he has called us on? This road that says that we're to crucify self, that we're to crucify our passions and desires because we belong now to a king, right? And it's not easy. Start thinking about that. Take inventory of yourself. Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It is well-pleasing to God when we live in this way. Right? You know you better than anybody. Right? We can all play the game where we, tr we trick each other and we can act more spiritual than we really are. And if you're at the church any length of time, you, you learn the language. Right? Is that not true? You learn how to operate around other Christians. And so it's a really easy way for other people to assume that you're good and your relationships are right, and everything is good on the exterior, on the meantime, you're actually walking the wide path to destruction. That you're going completely in the wrong direction. That you're not on the narrow path that leads to life. You're on the path of destruction. And the Bible points out that self-deception is one of the most dangerous things because you don't see it, and you begin to believe the lie that you're okay. Hey, I'm not judged right away. My house didn't burn down. I don't see God's hand of judgment upon me and you're walking down this path of destruction. The Bible says, and Trace is going to talk about this next week, it's foolishness. That he who doesn't do these things is, is a fool. Right? And I'm exhorting you right now as your pastor, start examining your life. What needs to be crucified? The way is difficult because we have to kill ourselves. And I don't mean that in the literal sense. We die to self. Everything that we want has to be brought under Jesus' lordship. Now, not everything you want is bad, right? So let's not knee-jerk this, right? When I, I don't know if, if you're like me, but when I first got saved, I assumed God had wanted me to throw away everything that wasn't Christian. So all my CDs went into the dumpster. I got saved. I was, I was brand new in the Air Force. The navigators came around, knocking on doors. And these guys, I want to say they argued me to Christ <laughs> for a good couple weeks. They were relentless. 
He's awesome. Uh, the guy's name was Zeddy Kratz, if anyone knows Zeddy. It was really weird I say that, and every year or so somebody's like, yeah, I know Zeddy. He's a retired Navy captain. And uh, so I get saved, and I'm really excited. I mean, I, this renewal in my life, I feel good. I'm like, man, this is wonderful. I don't know the Bible. I didn't grow up a Christian, so I'm like, well, what does God want from me? I'm like, well, obviously he doesn't like anything that's not Christian. So this is the 90s, so I go over, and you remember those big CD binders, and you had all your CDs in there? And, uh, it and I was like, I'm going to do this for God. Chucked it in the dumpster. I mean, just, and I love music. I'm a big music guy. Terrible musician, but I just love, love music. Chucked it in the dumpster. I was like, okay, th that's what God wants. And I start walking with God. I'm like, I don't think God wanted that. <laughs> that thing's in a landfill somewhere. But my heart was in the right place, right? And I knew that he wanted something from me, right? I knew that even inherently I knew that God wanted something. Hey, my salvation was free for me, right? It wasn't for him. Isn't that true of all of us? That we, we know that there's something, there's got to, and I'm not saying a works-based, that I'm following somebody else now and he wants something from me. And as I matured, I realized that. I realized some of those CDs I probably should have thrown away, right? And I have since repopulated the Beatles collection and whatnot. But I just realized that that wasn't what it was about. He was after my heart. He was after anything that stood in the way. So I started that silly story with the idea that God, that not everything has to go away, right? And that was my false assumption. As all my identity, everything that I love had to be thrown away. No, that's not it. God will reveal to you what is standing in the way. Amen? And if you don't know what that is, ask him. Maybe you have a wide open lane right now on the narrow path and you're good to go. But it very well could be that there's a lot of things in your life that, that are, are clogging that. Hey, let's go back to Matthew. Let's read the next five verses. So back in our text, 7, 15, and, and we'll read to verse 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Let's stop there. Let's really think about what he's saying. Does a false prophet or even a false convert, do they look any different from us? They're in sheep's clothing. Sometimes it's hard to imagine, but a real false prophet and a real fake Christian probably look more like a real Christian than anybody else. They, they look the part. It says, but inwardly there are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You, as a Christian, cannot help but produce something. Now, this is, I think, God's built-in defense. We can fake it with our words, and we can go through the motions, and we can do all these things, but ultimately, your life produces fruit. And it's not always visible immediately, but it will always show itself. The fruit cannot be hidden. Now, here, Jesus is warning about false prophets and false teachers. And the Bible says a lot about this. If you jump into Thessalonians, and we're not going to go there right now because we're limited on time, but there's a lot of teachings on false, false brethren is what it says. And the Bible says they're actually planted there by the enemy, right? The wheat and the tares are sown together. And that's crazy to think about because we do have an enemy. 
And the enemy does hate us, and he hates our church. He hates the church. He hates God. He hates Christ. And so he sows the terrors in there to try to cause division, to try to cause problems. And fake ministers and fake prophets and false prophets and teachers, they seem to lead you in the truth, but their ultimate goal is to lead you away from the truth. And Jesus warns us, says, you will know them by their fruit. Go to Galatians 5, 19, 26. This is the famous passage on fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, and it talks about the works of the flesh. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Right? So if you see this, this is the unregenerate man. This is the enemy. This is what this produces. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Sounds like the barracks, doesn't it? we got a whole thing going here. And I'm talking about the Air Force. I've never lived in the Marine Corps barracks, so you guys tell me if I'm wrong on that. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This is the fruit that we produce apart from the Spirit of God. Ultimately, that's what these things produce. Have you ever seen... High-profile pastors, when they fall, the list of sins that come out, aren't most of them sex and money related? Greediness. And you find out they're like, you know, they're sleeping with prostitutes. Remember Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and Jimmy Swaggart, all these high-profile guys, when they fall, when you see what has happened, you're just, am I, the, I mean, I know I'm not the oldest person here, but you guys remember Jimmy Swaggart now? Okay. Thank you, sir. <laughs> But it's alarming. You're like, oh my goodness, these guys are holding rallies and thousands are getting saved and, and they're preaching the word, right? You're like, how does, how does this happen? Well, because Jesus warned us, hey, false prophets, you'll know them by their fruit. The problem is, is that people hide this fruit and you can only hide it for so long and then it gets exposed and it's like, oh my goodness. You know, this, is a, this is no bueno. But let's keep reading because we've got to see what a real prophet produces, what a real Christian produces here. Um, next verse, please. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, here it is again, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, Envying one another. All those things that the flesh wants to produce, the drunkenness, the angers, you know, the orgies, all the things, all the disgusting things the flesh wants, the Bible says kill that. Kill those things that are in you so that the fruit of the Spirit can grow in you. And Jesus warns us, hey, false prophets are growing these things that I told you are ready to kill. Right? This narrow path, these false prophets are on the wide path. They're producing the easy fruit. Isn't anger an easy fruit to produce? Yes? No? Maybe? Isn't sexual immorality an easy fruit to produce? You don't have to work really hard to produce sexual immorality. I think it just kind of comes inherently in the body we've been given, right? All these sins that the body wants to do, they come really easy. Right? We just do them by nature. That's why a parenting is tough, right? Because kids are growing up, and you're trying to instruct them in the way they should go because by nature they want to start doing these things. And then we have to correct them, and we have to guide them. And in the same way God does us, he corrects us, and he guides us. And he warns us that, hey, the bad guys are producing these fruit. Now, let's go ahead, 7, 21 to 23. 
You see how they seemingly, these are different topics, but they're all very related here in the kingdom. Now, now it's going to get tough. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then will, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Probably one of the more scarier things written in the Bible. Right? We, can we agree upon that? Thinking that you have walked the narrow path and hear the words, I don't know you. That sucks. Right? You, like, you're there, you're like, cool, there's Jesus, and he says, I don't know you. Let me give you an... Uh, an analogy, a story. So growing up, I was born in the 70s, and my mom was a humongous Beatles fan. Just, uh, we had Beatles music playing all the time. Old country music and Beatles music. I mean, it was kind of running around the house. And so naturally, if you're a child and you're listening to the Beatles 24-7, you listen to the Beatles 24-7. So I'm growing up and and we grew up, uh, my family is really poor. I'm the oldest of five. We didn't have a lot of money when we were younger. And I remember listening to the radio with a cassette tape, and when a Beatles song would come on, I'd hit record. You remember, you could have the two decks in there, and you could record it. And so I was always just infatuated. Anytime I'd hear Paul McCartney's voice or John Lennon, uh, record. And I'd had all these tape cassettes of Beatles songs, and my mom loved them. And we would listen to the Beatles. And I just, like, loving the Beatles. Another big passion I had besides music was that I love reading. I just just read all the time, and thank God he's passed that on to my family. But I read a lot. I've read every Beatles biography that's out there. I'm just, go to the library, look for them, and, you know, in particular, I, I read about, I think my favorite Beatle, if you care who the, some of you don't even know who the Beatles are, my favorite was always John. Now, John is the most broken of the guys, right? He's most famous, like, hey, as a pastor, you're holding up a Beatles book for the guy that said, hey, we're bigger than Jesus, okay? This guy's a, a broken man of a human being. And you see how thick these books are, right? You see how thick my Bible is. See the difference. Now, I've read probably 20 different books on this man that are all equally as thick. I know a lot about John Lennon, you know, his relatives, his, his guitars, the guy who painted his guitar black. I mean, just weird, random stuff there's no way I should know about, right? Because I've read all these things, and I've amassed all this knowledge over almost 40 years of reading about this guy. Now, John Lennon was killed when I was, was very little. John was, was killed in 1980, right? And one of my earliest memories was my mom crying when John Lennon was shot. And to tell you how long ago that was, Trace was only like four years old when John Lennon was shot. So even Trace was a young guy. <laughs> So all these things I know about John and the Beatles and his family and all this stuff, if I walked into a room and John Lennon was in there and he had a mask on and I couldn't see who he was, do you think I would know that was John Lennon? I know about him, but I don't know John. I don't know him at all. I've read thousands and thousands and thousands of pages, seen thousands of hours of videos. I've listened to his voices, all the old Dick Cavett interviews. I mean, I, I mean literally, I'm psycho. I've, I've watched all these things. And if you disguise his voice and you change his face and you put him in a room, I wouldn't know him. I don't know him. I just don't know him. I know a lot about him, but I don't know him. Do you see what Jesus is getting out there? That we can know about Jesus. We read his word. We think we're doing the works for him. And then we get to this point, and he's like, I, who are you? I don't know you. Friends, Jesus isn't after your works. 
He's after you. He wants to know you. And we need to know him. And this reading about it is part of it. But it's not the only way to know him. So the question is, is how do we know him? How do we make sure we never hear these words? Let's look at a couple scriptures. Let's go to 1 John 2, 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him. Oh, praise God. You know, I thank God for verses like this. Here's how we know. If we keep his commandments. Uh-oh. Now, are we back into works? You guys can feel free to answer me. Are we back into works now? Well, I heard a yes and I heard a no. I would say no because the works don't get us saved, but it's our obedience to him is also how we learn about him. The Bible says Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered, right? It is through walking out his commandments. Now, the commandments, I think we think a little bit differently about it from the Old Testament because we have to say, what are Jesus' commandments? That's a good question, right? What are they? Does anyone know? Say it again, sir. Okay, those are the Ten Commandments. Technically, those are Jesus's. But what did Jesus say? Here's the commandment I give you. Love one another. Love God. Love one another. This is the commandment. This is how this thing works. Now, if you love somebody, will you commit murder? No. Jesus got done telling us, if you're angry with a brother without a reason, you've committed murder. So that falls under there. You think of it this way. Anything that it doesn't benefit your brother, not motivated by love, is, is the violation of the commandments. Is lying, is that loving your brother? If you really loved your brother or sister, would you lie to them? No, of course not. That's, what, that's keeping his commandment, right? So don't think of it as a list of do's and don'ts to earn salvation and merit God's favor. God is motivated by one thing, and that is love. God is love, and he's motivated by this love. And if we have love for people... We're not going to break these commandments. Let's go to John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, this is not in word only. This is action. This is real love. This is sacrificial love. And not to be a cornball, but this is kids' game love. This is why you, you volunteered and you helped out. Love for the community. Love for these kids. Love for this body. Amen? 1 John 5, 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, because God is love. This is a great verse to memorize. Remember that song? Beloved, let us love one another. Should I stop? Stop right now. <laughs> I'm going to walk out of the church. Okay. Anyone that does not love does not know God because God is love. We see here is the idea that if you don't have love for the body, it's kind of hard to say that you know God. Because what's the one thing that God does? God is. Is love. To know God is to love people. That's how you're going to assure yourself before him that you will never hear those words, I didn't know you in the service of him. God cares about why you do what you do. The people Jesus was talking about, hey, we cast out demons in your names, we did all these mighty works. 
mean, they were doing some awesome stuff for God. And if you think about it, Jesus uses like the most extreme example. We were casting out demons. In the Old Testament, there's no demons being cast out. The Jews knew what demons were. And Jesus says, if I, by the hand of God, cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's, he's saying some radical stuff here. And Jesus is saying, it's like, even the people that do that, if they don't know me, they're not getting in. To love God means to love people. We're aligning ourselves with what he cares about. And God cares about one thing. He cares about souls. He cares about people. All people, even people that aren't in the church, were made in his image. God loves people. For God so loved the world, what? He gave his only begotten son. He loved so much, he sacrificed himself. No greater love has he than he who lays down his life, right? There's no greater way to express that love than to die for somebody. And he has done that. And to say that we know him and we don't reciprocate or give out that same love is hypocrisy. It just can't be. You can't know him. Because the closer you walk with God, the more your heart is tender towards people. And it's difficult. This is the narrow path. Because people are mean. People are backbiting. They'll use you. They'll abuse you. They'll talk about you. I mean, can we agree that humanity can be a pretty rough place at times? Right? Just turn on the news for half an hour and you're like, you know, I'm going to Montana. I'm moving up there. Right? But these are the people we're called to love. As difficult as people are, this is what we're called to do. Amen? Let's look at a couple more scriptures. We're almost done here. Do you have James 127 next? Phil? Phil and I are on point, communicating. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Keep that up there, please. So is pure religion before God arguing theology on Facebook? Oh, I've got to correct the doctrine, brother. I've got to get on Facebook and set this person straight. Right? Is that person doing anything for the kingdom of God? What is pure religion before God? It's helping those that are less fortunate than you. It's feeding people. It's clothing people. It's keeping yourself away from sin. Keeping yourself unstained from the world. Crucifying these things. This is what is precious in the sight of God. This outward reaching thing. Right? We're keeping ourselves from sin, which he helps us with. And through him, we're reaching the world. However this looks like. It's meeting natural needs and it's meeting spiritual needs. Right? The two go hand in hand. Feeding people, clothing people, caring for them, right? Talk is cheap. How many people, you know, James actually says this, hey, if you tell a brother, be warm and be filled, and you have it in your power to feed them, but all you said is be warm and be filled, have you done anything? No, you haven't. It's like, good job, good job, buddy. Nice faith. That's not faith. Faith is always an action. Because you believe, you do. How is love expressed? An action. How do you express your love for your family? If you don't tell your wife you love her, do you think it's going to go well for you? No. If you don't express your love towards your wife, do you think it will go well for you? No. You've heard the old joke, right? Hey, I told you when I married you that I loved you. I'll let you know if something changes, right? That's terrible. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting philosophy. I'm curious to see how that plays out. But no, we have to be active. And likewise, ladies, right? It's a mutual relationship. Like, we're committed to, to being active towards our love towards one another. And it's the same way with your kids, right? If all we do is discipline and, and correct them all the time, but we don't love them, 
you think they're going to be you know, a little bit off? Yeah, right? This is important to express this. So it is in the body that we, we, we visit those, we help those less fortunate, those that are marginalized and downtrodden. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you. Remember it says obey his commandments, right? Here's the commandment. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Friends, you want to obey the commandment, you just have to memorize one thing. Love one another. Everything that's in, that works towards that, I think you'll keep all the commandments that God gives us. Like we said, we talked about the murder, the lust, right? If you love somebody you're not going to lust after them. You're not going to lust after another man's property or possessions, right? You think about everything that love means. But here's the commandment. Love one another just as I, just as I have loved you. And think about how he loves. Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. We don't get to love just the people that are good, right? And pray for those who persecute you. One problem, I think, and I'm sure you see it this way too, is, is as our country seemingly gets more and more divided, is this idea that everybody now is our enemy. If we don't agree with one another, you are now my enemy. Right? If we don't hold the same thoughts. And even in Christian circles, it can be like that. Right? Oh, you're not a Baptist, so you're a charismatic, or you're a Catholic, or you're this, you're this, you're this. Therefore, you are my enemy. Politically, it's really like this, right? But the Bible says we're not to trash these people. What are we to do? Pray. How is love expressed? Is it fighting these people? Is it arguing with them? Again, I don't even know if people still use Facebook. I've, this seems like a prideful boast, but I've never had a Facebook. I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm really proud of that fact. And part of the reason is because I just would hate to know what some of my family members really think. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't want to read that. I want to love people. But we get this idea that instead of just trashing people or arguing with people, I'm not saying we have to, to you know, not address certain things, but the point of the matter is, is do we spend more time fighting and causing division and strife, or do we spend more time praying for these people like Jesus said? How are you expressing your love? Love for your enemies is expressed through praying for them just as diligently as you would your family members. Amen? Let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Not just Christians, to everyone. Seek to do good. And if we tie this back to Jesus saying, how do we know that we know him? If we have love for one another, if we have love for the brother. How you're going to assure your heart before God that you know him is you are going to love people like he loves people. That's it. And it's a selfless love. It's a sacrificing love. It's a Going back to the original point, it's a dying to self-love. The wide path to destruction is all about me. The narrow path that leads to life is all about everybody else. And that road is tough. Because not often do we want to pray for our enemies. Do we want to give? Do you want to give the money that you've earned to give to a ministry or to give to a family in need, to feed other people, to clothe people, and to do that day after day? Because the Bible says pick up your cross daily. This is something that we... We don't do for a week, and we say, great, I was a great Christian this week. I can step off the gas pedal. Jesus calls us to do this every single week, every single day, until you go to glory. This is the path we're on. 
That's the end of my notes. If you have your Bibles, uh, it's not going to be on the screen, but I want to read from 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. If If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, I'm a noisy gong, or a clanging cymbal. We see here, without love, you just make a noise. Amen? And if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Here's where the rubber meets the road, church. If you want to practice love towards people in general, here's, here's the command right here. Love is patient. Number one, love is patient. Love is kind. Right? How kind are you? Are you nice to people? How do you speak to people? How do you speak to people in your house? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. And I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childless ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Did you see there in verse 12 when he says, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even even as I have been fully known. That's a powerful statement that the creator of the universe fully knows you, the strengths, your weaknesses. He made you. The Bible says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And there will come a point when we know him. Right now we know in, in part. We're learning. We're on this road together, journey to know him, to know our Savior. And it's only expressed through love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your awesome word. We thank you for your great grace towards us. Jesus, I thank you that you would give us such instructions, that you told us to enter by that narrow gate and what to watch out for with false prophets. And even better yet, the people that think they're on your side, people that are seemingly doing your work and yet don't know you. Father, it's our heart's cries to know you. Father, we repent where we haven't had this love for the brethren. Father, would you change our hearts to to be motivated by love of people, to love people, Jesus, like you loved people. Lord, would you help us see people like you see them. Father, especially the, the nasty, mean people in our lives, Father, the people that hurt us. Jesus, you said to pray for your enemies. Lord, help us to see like you see. Help us to see the spiritual forces behind them causing these people to act this way. Father, give us a sensitive heart towards our brothers and our sisters. 
Lord, I thank you that we will never hear the words, I didn't know you, but rather our, our heart's cry is that we will hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Help us to be mindful of these commands. Help us to be mindful of your word at all times, Lord. And I thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. The church said, amen.